Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. Your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your hosts, Griffin Youngs and Christian Boulay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Teledabs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Bollet, as always, this time on Zoom and not in person. But uh, Christian, what the hell just happened? Um, That's a great question, dude. Uh, I've never felt this like meh about a win in the playoffs, in the Western Conference Finals. The, the Western Conference Final, our first Western Conference Final game in 20 years, and we won, and I am baffled right now. My brain feels like it's coming out of my ears. Yeah, it was, like I said, I've just, you, you should feel good about scoring eight goals, and I just, I just don't feel good, man. Yeah, um, uh, the Avalanche win. Eight to six over the Edmonton Oilers in game one of the Western Conference final in what is absolutely the most mind-numbingly strange and absurd game I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it, it, it was just like there were so many swings in this game. I mean, just in the first period alone, this game was drunk. Like the first period was probably like if you were a casual viewer of hockey you made sense for like the first 19 minutes and then the last minute of the first period made zero sense yeah you're, you're learning new rules uh there's two goals getting scored like it's this game made the most sense when it was zero zero and it was like oh there's like no shots on goal two minutes into the game this might end up being a pretty low scoring like feel out contest no no it was not it was not a feel out contest um, because probably about six minutes into the game. Am I right? Five minutes in. Five yeah. minutes in. Damn, I was a minute off. Josh Manson and Jack Johnson don't communicate well together. Uh, Manson pinches in, and Evander Kane gets an easy breakaway goal to put the Oilers up one nothing. I'll admit, in the moment, 
I blame Jack Johnson just because that's all I saw. Uh, upon further review, I rescind my critique of Jack Johnson and go, what the fuck are you doing, Josh Manson, on that play? And yeah. you'll be saying that a lot tonight. What the fuck, Josh Manson? <laughs> yes, Josh Manson was the worst player on the ice in this game. That, that was not a goalie. I yeah, will say. Go. Josh Manson was the worst skater on the ice in this game. This first goal... I'm not really sure where he was going. He just kind of, he had Evander Kane in front of him and then just kind of went towards the boards. I'm not really sure what he was trying to do. I don't take the blame fully off of Jack Johnson. I'd say this is about 80-20 on Manson, but because Jack, I mean, he didn't get back very well and he's just not fast enough to cover (laughs) that kind of play. He just isn't. But I mean, we're really just kind of diving right into this game. But Josh Manson, that was a, a rough one for him. I'm really not sure what he was doing. I mean, I rewatched the goals after this game. You can attribute about four Oilers goals to Josh Manson in this game. Some more than others, to be fair. This one was probably the worst, but there are four plays that you're like, if Josh Manson makes this play, the goal does not happen. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, simply just the case i have not watched the replay um well yeah you were were caught in traffic yeah no i mean it took took me an hour to get down there which you know now it should not take me an hour it's 12 miles away from my house ball arena took me an hour to get down there took me an hour to get home um and to jim matheson who was like oh it doesn't seem as fans are very stoked to to get to this game buddy have you never seen traffic before do you not have six a job? o'clock after a holiday weekend like it was truly it is, truly horrific it came on at six o'clock in denver yeah. and everyone's trying to get to the same place jimmy my brother in christ you gotta give us a chance yeah no I, like i was actually impressed how many people were already there at six o'clock i, I, was, I was too honestly like you i remember the the ducks when they were in the conference final against nashville in 2017 there was like nobody at the games to start because nobody could get there. I was, ex- I was halfway expecting that with the stories you were telling me on the way to the game. I was surprised there were that many people there. That's what I was shocked too. And like somehow I made it in time. I was, I, I was shocked you made it for puck drop. Yeah. So was I, um, we sprinted into the arena, but yeah, it was, it was tough. I, I haven't watched any of the games yet. Um, I have a pretty decent memory of it because there was a lot going on. Um, but even after that Evander King goal, I I thought this period for the Avs was a really, really good period. I I thought the first period was outstanding, just about as good of a first period as you could hope for, because what was it? 30 seconds later, it felt like, (laughs) I think it very well might've been if I could pull that up again, 36 seconds later, the third line, the third line we've been begging to be put together all postseason because Nicholas Aubrey Cubell scratched for this game. Third line, Newhook, Comfer, Berkey. They come through with a great play. Newhook sets up Comfer for his third goal in two games. Beautiful play to tie the game and get all the momentum right back. Yeah, I mean, we've been begging for this line, and I would argue in the first two series you could make that argument that they didn't need to need all that offense. They needed more defense and blah, 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 but you need offense in this series and you need to take advantage of your third line matchup. And they did it tonight. Um, I, I really don't think any of the abs forwards were bad tonight. I thought all four lines were rolling pretty well. The fourth line was incredible in this game. 
then they've had some good games against St. Louis recently, but this name, this game was their magnum opus. Yeah. They were truly, truly great. Darren Helm playing with all the confidence in the world. Um, Cogliano looked great. Logan O'Connor looked great. Um, there were a couple times they got stuck out there icing and facing the McDavid line. And every single time Helm would held. Just face off, clear the puck and they'd get off the ice and it was all yeah. good to go. They held their own against the McDavid line in this game. And just going back to the first period through the first 19 minutes outside of the brain fart from Manson, I really thought they were dominating this part of the oh, game. Yeah. And the, then the top line matchup, it was top all line abs. against top line. It was all abs early all on. Abs. The McKinnon line was dominating the McDavid line. And it showed about 10 minutes later when McKinnon breaks through the Oilers defense on a great Beautiful pass, pass by Devon Taves. Beautiful stretch pass by Devon Taves. McKinnon takes advantage of a hurt Darnell Nurse who is clearly struggling in this series. He's, I'm going to give him some credit here. He's clearly hurt and going up against a Nathan McKinnon on a freight train track on that play is not much he can do. He goes right around him, goes right through Mike Smith to give the, the avalanche their first lead and capitalizing on what had been a great matchup for them in the first period. They will get more into this, but there's so much to get into. I don't know how we're going to cover everything. We'll talk about more in the second period, but like, like you said, I thought the, I thought the abs held McDavid and Dreisaitl in check. And I think they still ended up with three points. Like, like that's, that's holding them in check is holding them at three points. Um, but yeah, I mean, that McKinnon goal all set up by Devon Taves, beautiful stretch pass, um, beautiful goal. I don't know why Mike Smith was going for the poke check there. I, I don't, I don't know. What he was I mean, doing, maybe, but... maybe he just knew he didn't have a chance and just yeah. throwing, throwing a hail Mary out there. And it was, yeah. McKinnon is, if he plays like that all series, it's it's going to be a long series for. Yeah, I th- I think he appreciates not having Ryan O'Reilly here. Yeah, that helps a lot. That it helps really a lot. Not he he, he, he just looked like a free bird out there, free of his cage, and just skating like a madman. He had a great game. He had a great game, and um, I was really happy with how they locked down the McDavid. Maybe that's the key: is you shut McDavid down for forty minutes, and you have a chance of winning. I, I again like you said I thought we did a great job McDavid still had three points like yeah. this that's what I talked about in the preview you're not gonna stop him you're gonna yeah. contain him for some stretches of time that's all you can hope to do and, and they, they did, did in the I, first. Like, that is all you can hope for they contained him for long enough where by the time he started taking over the game it was pretty much it wasn't pretty much over it was it was close to over you so, had a, you had a four goal lead yeah, you had a four-goal lead by the time he started to take over. Um, but, man, so McKinnon scores, Avs go up 2-1, and then getting back to the first period, I, I don't know what happened on this play. You're going to have to help me out. I don't know how Zach Hyman got so open. Um, was that another Manson play? Guess who was covering him in yeah, front of that, and guess who skate hit it in? Manson's? Josh Manson. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still – I've. Maybe I just didn't see this replay close enough. I don't know how Hyman got this goal because I thought this just went clean off of Manson. Maybe it hit him a little bit, but Hyman gets the goal. Manson just kind of let him stand there at the side of the net. And, I mean, we're going to talk about Darcy Kemper, obviously, but there was nothing he could do here. Manson's got to get that guy away from the net. Kulak throws it right at him, goes, I guess, off of Hyman. I thought it hit Manson, but it goes off of Hyman. And into the net, and with 23 seconds left in the first, the Avalanche again can't get out of the period, and we're going to intermission, tied or 
So we thought because the most interesting thing of the first period has not even happened yet. There are 23 seconds left in the period at this point. 13 seconds later, the Avalanche win the draw and Kale McCarr with a beautiful zone entry, which we'll talk more about, obviously, puts his snipe on Mike Smith. Avalanche respond nine seconds later and take the lead. Yeah, they, they take the lead. It was a perfect shot by Kale McCarr. Um, I don't know if that time off helped him or maybe it's not because he's having to defend Ryan O'Reilly in that line. I mean, he had, what, three assists against St. Louis? He had a good series against St. Louis. He had four points in this game. No, they took him down to three. They took away one of his assists. Which one did they take away? I don't know, but I just saw that they had him at three because I thought I saw four points. Yeah, you're right. But, I mean, still, still, I mean, three points in a game is ridiculous. Um, That shot was beautiful. It's patented Kale McCarr. Um, And that's really – after that goal was scored, in the moment I saw that play and I was like, oh, that's close. That's close to being offsides. And I've never seen a team challenge as fast as the Oilers challenged. I mean, and as well they should have, because I saw that replay like, yep, offside. That's coming back. However, um, I think everyone learned a new rule in the NHL today, because let's let's slow down. What the hell happened here? So McCarr scores that goal. The Oilers challenge it immediately. Val Nachushkin is not back onside yet when Kale McCarr enters the zone. Or so we thought. I look at that replay. I'm telling you, because they're not – I don't know why Ball Arena does this. They don't show – They showed one. one angle of it at, like, right after the goal happened, and then they yeah. didn't show another one, which so, made me think that they didn't – it wasn't going to count because usually when they aren't showing the replay, it means that it's not good for us. Right. And that's what I thought here at first because when that puck is in the zone, Val is not onside. However, they go back and they call the play onside, and I'm like, wait really clearly there's something we missed here and there was what happened here is that kale mccarr has the puck val is obviously not on side yet and kale kind of just pushes it off his stick a little bit when he enters the zone that is technically a delayed offside and he allows comfort to tag up into the play i have comfort on my mind he played great coming up soon yeah Coming up soon. There's so much on my brain right now. I cannot think straight. Like I said, my brain is coming out of my ears. Nachushkin, he allows Nachushkin to tag up on this play. Then he touches it. Then he snipes it. You got all that? Because I don't. I'm still confused. But it is a legal play. They made the right call. And it counts. I did not know this rule existed, but it does. I think my biggest shock is they actually got the rule right. That was my biggest shock, too. I mean, you even had Tim Peel on Twitter saying they, the refs got it right, which is Yeah, you had everyone saying the rules. Everyone was confused at first, but when you looked at it, they're like, yeah, I mean, that's technically, correct. Yeah, technically, technically correct. Right. I think, honestly, the quick challenge by the Oilers kind of came back to bite him in the ass. because I, I mean, they, this is one where I think this rule is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. That, that they get a power play or we get a power play out of that. That was a very fair challenge. They were not trying to, like, screw the, the, the momentum game, yeah. of the game. Like, they were, they clearly saw Nachushkin was over the, the blue line when that puck was in the zone. That's a fair challenge. I don't get why you have to punish them for that. Yeah. That's I mean, just me, right try, that's me trying to be unbiased. Yeah. Like, I... We said that after the delay of game. I, I think it's a dumb rule. Um, but because it, 
my thing with it, and we're going off a little on tie right here, is you're taking away from the refs being held accountable for doing their job by penalizing the refs or the right. coaches for making the call. I mean, and I understand why it exists because you don't want teams just challenging every goal and essentially getting a free timeout, but there's got to be something better than this. Well, it's I, a, I, like you're trying, you like, you, I don't know, like in this case, like there's a rule that is clearly not very well known by yeah. anyone. They see that Val is offside and they challenge it. And now to start the second, they have to kill a penalty. Like that's just doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't seem right. I mean, just do it like the NFL. If you get a challenge wrong, you lose a timeout. Right. You lose your timeout. You can't call a timeout later. It would have been massive. That would have penalized them later in the game when we get to it because they would have not been able to rest their stars for that timeout that they took. Right. But getting back to the actual call itself, my initial viewing, I thought this was offside for sure. Then I had it explained to me. And be like, no, because of the car kind of dumping this in barely and having it off his stick and not fully having possession, he allows Nachushkin to touch up. Therefore, the play is onside. That means this was the right call. I understand Oilers fans are upset about this, but there are upset too. But there are two responses to that. One, just because you don't know the rule doesn't mean it's not real. Two, watch your last game. Who cares? Yeah, like they've gotten the benefit, like in the Calgary game, they got the benefit of um, a bad, like a vague rule going their way. And then they didn't get it tonight. Trust me, coming I mean, from Avs fans, even then, there so many times. Yeah, even then in the in the Calgary game, the rule indicates that that was not a kick and they yeah. called it wrong. In this case, at least the rule is real. You can go in the rule book and find it. Right. So, and the camera angles didn't do it justice. There was, I think, probably like 15 minutes after they got the right camera angle, which shows he didn't touch the puck when it went in. Yeah. So, and, I mean, and, and obviously was, you have the Oilers fans showing like the one camera angle where you can like make the argument it's on his stick, but there's five different angles of the same thing yeah. showing it wasn't. So, again, understand you're upset, but that is the rule. And yep. I forget who it was calling for like the refs to be put in prison on Twitter. Like, okay, buddy. Well, no, they made the right call here. It's the one time the referees and the situation room actually earned their paycheck because they made the right call. That's the rule. Like, it's weird. No one's really ever seen that before. I saw one example of, like, back in the Canadian bubble last season, like the Habs and the Canucks, this, this happened. This is a very rare thing, but it's a, it's a rule. I mean, it, it, it's a rule. We found the literally the rule in the rule book, like, technically the refs got it right and like you just said like i feel bad for edmund like i i get why they're upset i don't feel bad for him but i mean the rules right there the camera angle show it like toronto the situation room has all of the camera angles at once and i kind of had a feeling the more they reviewed it and the longer it took to review the more i felt more confident because they reviewed it for probably about a minute and a half and I was like, damn, this looks clear cut off sides. Why are they taking so long to review this? And it's not like they were like trying to get the clock right. Cause there was only like 13 seconds left in the period. It wouldn't have been talking milliseconds here. And yeah, they, they called it that way. And I mean, for the first time in a long time, it feels like the abs got one of those calls to go their way. Yeah. Cause it feels like we never do, no. but regardless, somehow we're coming out of that period with the lead by the absolute skin of our teeth. But 
again, like we said, I really felt like that was just about the perfect first period you could have. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, the Oilers got up to like seven or eight shots, but they were at three for a And I think four really of them came on the same possession. Yeah. Like the abs were fantastic in their defensive end. Their forecheck was great. Um, they kept pinning the Oilers in their zone that first period. And rightfully so, they deserve to be up in that after that first period. Yeah. I guess you can say just the puck doesn't lie in this instance. You go to the second period after that. The Avalanche now have a power play for some reason. I still don't like that rule, but regardless, we have it. And they take advantage of it. Nazem Kadri cleans up a rebound in front. And all of a sudden now, a uh, tie game with 23 seconds left in the first period is a 4-2 abs lead 32 seconds into the second period. Yeah, you, you remember uh, a guy won a, won a car tonight because of that goal in the first minute. <laughs> the Toyota time hit. And I've never seen a guy react so calmly to winning like a $30,000 car before. But um, yeah, that goal by Nazem Kadri, I thought he was great all night too. Like I, I yeah, really he had thought, nine shots on goal in this yeah. game. He was outstanding. And it's just like we said, that line needs to feast in this series. Like McKinnon and them matched McDavid and uh, Dreisaitl tonight. They, you just need to keep that up with the second and third line. Like that's where you have the advantage. Yeah. Also, I do need to, I do need to make a correction on earlier comment. I just saw the replay of the Hyman goal from another angle. It was Hyman's stick that knocked it in from the angle that I haven't seen yet. So it wasn't Manson's boot. It was Hyman's stick. So just a quick correction on that. But regardless, the abs score on this power play, like we're just going to have to brush through some of these goals because there's 14 of them. Yeah. Kadri gives us the lead there, 32 seconds in, and the Oilers get it back pretty soon into the second period with a, a shot from Warren Fogle that Kemper just kind of drops and Ryan McLeod left unimpeded, just cleans it right up and makes it a one-goal game again. Yeah, I mean, we, we can kind of go into that now. Um, the whole Darcy Kemper in this game, um, it all kind of came clear or became clear with some of the reports that are coming out afterwards. Uh, he left the game with an eye injury, or supposedly eye injury. Yeah. I say an air Officially an upper body injury. But the report is, is that his eye was starting to swell because it seemed like in the first period, he took some pucks to the face a couple of times. He comes back out for the period. This play happens where this shot by Fogel, he just kind of muffs and Fogel or not Fogel McLeod comes right in, cleans it up and knocks it in to make it a one goal game. I'll talk about what happened with Manson on this play later, but it was just kind of a routine play. And now it kind of makes sense as to why it happened. Cause it seemed, cause he said, Kemper said that his eye was starting to swell and his vision was getting a little blurry. That makes a lot more sense as to why this happened and why he took himself out of the game only a couple minutes later. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes complete sense. Uh, if this is something that hasn't been completely healed since that Nashville series, this makes a lot of sense why he was not very good in the St. Louis series. If yeah. he can't see the puck, that's a big deal for a goalie, man. Um, and I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that it's maybe he gets iced down and he can come in and play in game two. But, I mean, all indications are I, I don't think he's going to, man. Yeah, I mean, this is an, an eye injury for a goalie. It's, it's not something you can just gut out if you can't see the puck. Yeah. I mean – 
we'll keep our fingers crossed. But that's the shitty part with hockey. We won't know until literally the puck drops in game two. If I mean, by indication, it kind of seemed like Bednar was kind of hinting at the fact he's going to miss time, which I mean, for this makes sense. Yeah, this is this is not something you can just be like, oh, my I my shoulder hurts or you can be like anyone with like like 10 players eliminated who've had like broken ribs. Like this isn't that where you just you suck it up and you play through it. If you're a goalie and you can't see the puck, you can't play. And that's I'm I'm stuck in between. I don't want to freak out, but also like Pablo Francois was good tonight. He wasn't great. He made some huge saves. I wouldn't say any of the goals he gave up were his fault. There really wasn't anything he could do. I mean, there wasn't anything he could do, but we've said this before on the show. Like, Pablo Francois is one of the best backup goalies in the league. Right, but the best backup goalie loses to an average starter every time. And that's nothing against Pablo Francois. It's just we know what his talent level is. But also, contrary to that, is Mike Smith or Miko Koskinen an average goalie? Depends on the day. <laughs> Depends on the day. Mike Smith was in this game. He was a 760 in this game. Miko Koskinen faced one less shot than him and was a 952. Yeah. I don't know how they start Mike Smith in game two, but when they eventually do, I'm sure they'll have some reason for it. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll play Mike Smith again. I mean, this is for the Oilers. You can just chalk this up to it's exactly game one from the Battle of Alberta. Except one less goal you gave up. You only gave up eight instead of nine. So I, I'm I, I'm interested to see the goalie situation the rest of the series. Um, it's just going to be hilarious that we're going to have to come down from this game and then watch Tampa and New York, and there's going to be like two goals scored. In oh yeah, it's going to be like one one and go to overtime because you've got two of the best goalies in the world going yeah. head to head. And then this series goaltending is optional. Yeah, I mean the fact the Avs won with like a what was their final save percentage? Their final save percentage, Kemper had an 813 and Frankie had an 857. And we won. And we won the game. Yeah. Like that's we that gave doesn't up, we gave up six goals and one by two. Yeah. That just doesn't happen, man. So that's kind of why you can you can hear those stats and be like, okay, yeah, we won, but there's a lot that needs to be worked on. And yeah. trust me, I'd rather have a lot to work on after winning than a lot to work on after losing. Yeah, like this could have been far, far worse. But yeah. getting back on track with the second period, it's not a one-goal game for long. Miko Rantanen finally scores a goal with the goalie in net. Just an absolute snipe, a patented Miko snipe that we saw all regular season. He gets his second of the playoffs. And 438 into the second period is 5-3. to three. Yeah, hockey. <laughs> Yeah, and Ranton is a great shot from him. I mean, there's just, there's so many goals that we're just going to have to keep brushing past some of these, but it was great to see Ranton and get back on the board. Hopefully, this just snaps him out of a slump. He played I still, great tonight. He dude. played great. I still think there's something bothering him in his upper body, but this was a, at very least a great sign to see. If you can get him going in this series as well with McKinnon getting freed up and McCarr with three points tonight, if you get Ranton firing as well, I mean, that's it's a dangerous team, dangerous, dangerous team, but he breaks, he gets out off the schneid. I can't talk right now. This game is totally screwed with my brain. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't even talk regardless. Not even two minutes later, the avalanche, they keep going. They keep pushing 
Taze to McCarr, his shot on goal tipped by JT Comfer, his third goal in two games. It is six to three for Colorado. He's Comfer, getting hot at the right time, man. He's getting hot at the right time. You just you need a guy like this sometimes in your depth to just come through and score some absolutely huge goals. Comfer makes it six to three on a beautiful deflection. I mean, he he wasn't even getting love after the game either for he just kind of flew under the radar. I mean, this was a game with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ranton, Kale McCarr, all these stars, 14 goals scored. Only one guy had two goals, and that was JT Confer. Pretty funny. Pretty funny. Also, let's give this man some credit for just how good he's been because we're, we're, we would have been talking about game seven if it wasn't for him in game six, and who would have knows where we would be in this game without him? Probably crying. Probably I would be, I'd be spitting nails right yeah. now, probably. So yeah, JT Comfort was great. I mean, like we've already talked about Kel McCarr having a fantastic game, but if JT Comfort can stay hot with Berkey and Nui, I mean, your third line is significantly better than the Oilers third line. It right. is for sure. It's also going to be interesting to see if Berkey plays next game. Cause he, he blocked a shot with his foot in the third period on a, a possession that Edmonton eventually scored on, but he was hurt on the play. He only plays 821 in this game. He returns later in the third, but I'd say he only really missed about two or three shifts. Maybe his time on ice is not promising. He would have had more than Cogliano had he not gone out of the game for a little while, but I don't know how Bednar could look at this and think, yeah, I need to take out. Berkey or any of that line like that line was fantastic tonight every line every forward was great tonight in my opinion I I agree I really thought all the forwards in this game were strong but Berkey played 821 I think he maybe add another minute maybe minute and a half on there he yeah. still would have played much less than Newhook and Comfer who both played over 12 minutes yeah so. you gotta remember too though like Newhook and uh, Comfer on the second power play in the second period they Landeskog and Rantanen stayed out longer on their shifts. Well, Comfort got no power play time, but I, I just – I hope he doesn't, but sometimes ice time is indicative of what Bednar's thinking. I really hope he's not going to do what I think he's going to do in game two because the third line works. It's good. Keep it it's together. It's really good. And especially in this series, you're going to need it. Yeah. If, it, if this game is any indication of it, yeah, you're going to need a lot of scoring. And they were – like Comfort had the comment after the game – saying that both Berkey and Newhook know how to move the puck, which I know wasn't meant to be a dig at Aubé Bell, but it kind of was, isn't it? It's not, he's not wrong. Yeah. He didn't mean so. that as a dig, but like both these guys can move the puck. He's saying that immediately after his first game with them in the playoffs. I mean. But Nack's good at four checking. So. I, I guess. I don't know. So yeah. I mean, Berkey goes down. I mean, in the third period, that sucks, but I I, I think he's going to play. Um, we can wrap up the rest of the second period because, like we already said, all forwards played well tonight for the Abs, and every line scored a goal, and that was thanks to what turned out to be the game-winning goal, which at the time did not seem like it was going to be the game-winning goal. Uh, but Logan O'Connor fakes out Miko Koskinen, who 
was really good when he came in in relief. Like we already talked about that. Yeah, because Smith only got pulled after the comp for goal, and Kemper at Kemper at this point was not far behind him. Smith got pulled first, just for context. Kemper was after Smith, so it was after this point both goalies left the net, and it was after this point that it was Koskinen versus Frankie the entire way, and Andrew Cogliano on a wide open net because of the great play by Logan O'Connor makes it seven to three. And it looks like there's going to be no goaltending in this game again, even still for Edmonton. But this was the only goal that Biko Koskinen let in. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. All you have to do is bet $5 on any team to win, and you get $100 no matter the result. It is literally free money. And if that's not enough, if you're looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want at your convenience. So what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win, and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, he was great in he, that. In that he legitimately was. He made this, some this, great is not what I, this was not what was advertised to me. I wasn't told there was going to be saves in this game. Give me a break. There, there kind of there weren't any saves until the third period, but the, the third was a goaltending duel. Like what what's going on there? Yeah, a goaltending duel for the Oilers. Frankie led in a couple, but they, they weren't his fault. Yeah. Um, so the Oilers at the end of the second period, Connor McDavid, Taves falls. Like he has the breakout and he just falls. Getting um, the puck out has been such a problem in these playoffs. And it was still a problem in this game too. They overcame it late to win it, but they just could not get the pucks out of the zone still. And no. Taze, Taze has been surprisingly really bad at them in these last couple of games. I don't know what happened. I don't know what he took a hard hit, um, but he made a couple great defensive plays. So I'm, I'm not super worried about. Yeah, he had a great play on Connor McDavid, yeah. but just strangely enough, Taze has just been unable to get pucks out of the zone in these last couple of games. And I don't know how Connor McDavid was this wide open on the feed from dry but he was, and he's going to score on that literally every single time. So now we go into the third seven to four. Yeah, I mean, McKinnon tried to get back, but they're already halfway down the ice. Like, McKinnon has no choice but to try to defend the pass, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, Taves falling really is what caused that whole play. Um, So After after 40 minutes, it is 7-4. to Just, you know, as as you do from time to time. Sometimes that just happens, I guess. I suppose this is playoff hockey. You go to the third – Chris, and I got to say, the thir- a three-goal lead felt like a one-goal lead in this game. 100%. And the Oilers came out, and they played their best period of the night. 
they did. The, the third period was all Oilers in this game. It really started to feel like game five a little bit. I texted you saying it felt like game five. Yeah. And because at least in game five, there were some stretches where the abs looked good. It felt like they were defending in the zone the entire time here. Yeah, no, they definitely had a couple breakout chances. I think Kadri had a breakaway. Um, and then Koskinen made a couple big saves at the start of the third period, but the final, like, 12 minutes of that game was all Oilers. Yeah. All Oilers. Yeah, it starts on the goal by Derek Ryan. Like, surprising depth goals from the Oilers in this game. Derek Ryan's first goal of the playoffs here, less than four minutes into the period. Again, cannot get the puck out of the zone. This one's unfair to Josh Manson, but Zach Cassian passes the puck behind the net. It goes off of Manson's skate and right to Derek Ryan should say Berkey blocks a shot on this play with his foot that just had him down on the ice. The refs can't blow the play dead and he struggles to get to the bench after the goal. But this play by Cassian, he's not trying to do this. He gets it off of Manson's skate. It goes right to Derek Ryan and there's nothing that Frankie can do on this play. Cause he made some big saves on this sequence as well. Yeah. But it's just a, a cherry on top for a rough night for Josh Manson. Yeah, I mean, that that's – the bounces seem to go the Oilers' way a little bit tonight. Um, like, a lot of the breaks I felt like kind of went their way, like, with how the puck luck worked. But, um, like you said, when jo- Josh Manson could get out of his own way tonight, and there was sometimes nothing he could do, and <laughs> he still got kind of fucked. Um, but, yeah, it's 8-6 uh, – or, no, 7 Seven five or seven six seven, seven, seven five. five. Who knows at this point? Nothing yeah. felt real at this point. I, I was w- expecting to wake up at any moment and be like, "Oh, that was all fake." Yeah, I was expecting to have like a triple overtime and the goalies would get hot. Um, because Gabe Landeskog later in the third period takes one of the stupidest penalties I think he's ever taken in his life. It's definitely up there at very yeah. least. I've I get what he's trying to do here. He's just trying to get in the way of McDavid. He but the refs him. were looking for a reason to even right. the game up on penalties. But if you're going to do that, he grabbed him and spun him. Yeah. Like, the, the referees could not have missed that if they tried. Oh, and they tried at the end. They tr- Oh, they tried at the end. But yeah. they're, not, they're not looking for reasons to let us get in, away with anything at this point. Because I oh. believe that was, yes, that was the even-up call that made it two power plays apiece. Yeah. They're the looking for it. Have- they're looking for it. What are yeah. you doing here? You got to be perfect, and he wasn't. I have never felt more guaranteed that we weren't going to kill a penalty than when that one happened. A, as much as optimistic as I was trying to be, yeah, I felt the same on this one. Like, here we here we go. This is going to be the one that makes it a, a one goal game, and it's going to be just clenching the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it was. It was a okay penalty kill start. They got it out to begin with, but the, the Oilers, they just started slinging it around the zone. There was a lot of guys puck watching here, which I did not like. Well, can you blame them when Dreisaitl and McDavid are on the same side? I mean, I can- a, a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to see some guys in pass lanes, but I mean, it was the same thing against the Blues when the penalty kill struggles. Just a lot of watching, you know, and it's, it's tough to be aggressive 
on those two, but you need to just get sticks and lanes and just try not to make it too easy for them. Yeah, I mean, that pass by Drysdale and Nugent Hopkins was gross. Like, that yeah. that was a beautiful pass. It was a beautiful pass. Like, I just – I'd love to see McCarr just throw his stick in the way. It's just sometimes it feels like on the penalty kill when they start throwing the puck around a lot, we just get mesmerized by it. Yeah, I don't disagree. So it's, all, it's also tough that we've faced the two best power plays in the last two rounds after playing Nashville in round one, who's on the power play. We talked about that in the preview where it was like the abs are going to struggle the first couple of games with the power play, but once they get some tape and they figure out what they need to do in games uh, five and six, the penalty kill was fantastic. It was perfect. So, yeah, I mean, and you count your blessings that you gave up one power play goal. Yeah. In this game, in a game where you gave up six goals, only ones on the power play, you take that every time. You only took two penalties in the game. Second one was really bad. And the Lekkonen one, it was a hook. So you took two legitimate penalties. You got to stay out of the box. Got to stay out of the box. I mean, it's it's. we sound like really deep hockey analysts, but that's the truth. You got to stay out of the box. And you cannot ice the puck against the Oilers. You just cannot. Like, I don't know what you, like, you just can't. Because there were a couple of times we talked about earlier in the show, the fourth line, which was great tonight. I, I love how the fourth line's playing, but them against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl is not fair. Like that's, That should be illegal no, because it's not. it's not, but they throw them out every single time and it worked tonight. That's you're not going to survive that the entire series. No, not Darren even. Helm and Andrew Cogliano and Logan O'Connor are not even close to the stratosphere of, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Evander Kane. It's like I said in the preview, it's okay to have them out there for like 10 seconds, yeah. but a sustained like zone possession against them is literally never going to work ever. Yeah, it won't. So, and thank I, God they held their own in the what 20 seconds they had to play against them in yeah. this game. I mean, in the third period, the McDavid line really started to take over this mm-hmm. game. It, it was getting scary there for a moment. Oh, I thought was I thought we were destined for an overtime loss. I, I, just the way the game was going, I was like, this game is too nuts to not have an overtime, yeah. right? Too nuts yeah. not to. I mean, the, it's now a, a one-goal game with seven minutes to go. You're telling me we're not getting overtime? Hundred uh, percent. That's why I thought. I, I just I don't like being negative, but it, you could just feel it. There was like a tenseness in the arena, which. I hadn't felt since game five, <laughs> but oh, I know I was there, but uh, well, that, well, that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. I'm I mean, not there it, anymore, dude. so that may be the case, man. Um, which I mean, evidence suggests. Yeah, that it if, is. if the abs win a cup, I think we'll take that though. I mean, if the avalanche, if they win all of their home games in this series, like I don't know if I can come. Yeah. I don't know if I can come back. We'll have to like try to figure that out. Yeah, we'd have to figure that out. But yeah, it, it seemed like it was going to go south, but the abs locked down defensively. Um, they really did. I mean, I was getting really frustrated when that game was a one goal game. I was like, you've got to close this out. You've got to finish strong. And to the abs credit, they did. Like they They picked it up defensively. Frankie made a couple big saves late as well. And they didn't give the Oilers a ton. The empty net situation was kind of perfect for them. It wasn't, it wasn't super dangerous. They, they were good. Like they were moving the puck, but nothing really super dangerous. Uh, Evander Kane had one chance, um, but there, there was a, a phantom icing call. Like I, I don't know how they called that icing 
uh, with I think it was like 35 seconds left. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of time. That was a bizarre icing. Like yeah. he was not even trying to skate to that puck. Yeah, no. yeah, he got to it first, but like he could have gotten there 50 strides earlier. He was clearly yeah. just dogging for the icing. I couldn't believe they called that. But the only thing I was saying to myself, because I couldn't watch it with you anymore, which is sad, but I was <laughs> just get it out, get it out. I think I said probably a hundred times in the span yeah. of two minutes, just get it out. And Taze is much crap as I gave him for not being able to get the puck out earlier. He was able to shut down this empty net opportunity and the Oilers didn't have much. Eventually it goes right to Landis Gog. And I'll be honest, I was surprised that we were able to, to close this out after what happened in game five against the blues, where it was just failure after failure to get the puck out. Eventually the game gets tied. And earlier in this third period where it was just, you're making some dumb plays and letting them back in this game they kind of just flipped the switch and went back to the abs of the first two periods, it seemed. And from the third periods against the blues, or at least most of them and shut it down and eventually got rewarded with a wide open empty net to put this away. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, I usually find myself to be a very positive ass fan. I'm never the doom and gloom guy, but I did have some doom and gloom moments in this game and I'm glad we won. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be like, oh, we should have lost. We didn't deserve to lose. We still should have won that game. Yes, the we Avalanche a, were the better team in this game. Yeah. If we would have gotten even a halfway decent goaltending performance, this game's not close. Like, we're talking about both our goalies. Our best goalie was an 870. Like, Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and the the third goal was on Kemper, but it also very, very well might have been because he couldn't see. Yeah. Uh, the first goal was a total defensive gaff by Manson. The second one, another gaff by Manson. Then there wasn't anything Kemper could do. The third one, like I just said, that's on him. But he, like I said, he might not have been able to see. The fourth one, McDavid's wide open. The fifth one, it goes right off of Manson skates to a wide open Derek Ryan. And the sixth one, this is not the point I was expecting to make. Uh, the Ryan Nugent Hopkins is wide open on the power play. I was making this point to be like, yeah, you got to get better goaltending. Now that I've said that out loud, really wasn't that much their fault. Wasn't that you much. Do, their well, fault, you do but... want some saves on those. Cause like yeah. I've said, like I said on the fault goal against St. Louis, not everything's going to be perfectly defended. Because the abs did perfectly defend a lot tonight. I mean, they were really good. And I don't want to go away from this episode that people are thinking that the abs are not going to win the series. I, They're I, going I think... to win the series. The Avalanche yeah. are the better team in this series. They gave up six goals to Edmonton and won by two because they scored seven. Because as much as people are going to talk about Darcy Kemper and Frankie in this game, Mike Smith was worse and they might put him back in. Oh, I guarantee you they're putting him back in. I believe you. I, be I agree. They're probably going to put him back in. I don't know why, but they're going to. Yeah. I mean, they just showed the stats in NHL network. He's like, in game, in game one, he's truly horrific. And then two through five, he's like a 922. Yeah, he's an 840, I think, in game ones. He's like 0 and 5 yeah. with the Oilers since he joined them. So, yeah, he's going to go back in based off of that. But there are more positives to take away from this game than negatives. Number one is you won. You won the crazy chaos game. And both teams are really going to try to quiet this down and bring this back to a oh, next game is going to be like series. a 3-2 win it's not going to be high scoring i mean it could be five to three and people would be like wow what a great defensive effort yeah. from both sides 
I mean, I think that's probably what's going to be probably a, a five to three game next time. Both teams are going to be focused a lot on improving defensively. Cause even like I just said, when I recapped all the goals, that's a lot of defensive gaffes for the, yeah. for the avalanche as well. And there were more for the Oilers. There were more for the Oilers. I think both teams are going to come out and be better. Um, it's hard for the Avs to be much better offensively, but defensively there was a lot to um, improve upon. And uh, there, there were a couple of tweets going like, why are the abs dejected? Like they just seem like they lost. I, I don't think that's a bad mentality. To I have. think that's a great mentality to yeah. have about this. You cannot walk away from this game, just pumping your fists in the air. No. This is not going to work and going to big picture. Cause let's say the whole series goes like this. The rest of the series is like six, four, five, four, seven to five games, the rest of the way. And we win, you know, where that's not going to work the Tampa Bay lightning. If you try to pull that shit on them, they will massacre you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, really interested to see what happens. I think game two is going to be a lot closer. Um, I mean, this game was close, but like we said, the abs dominated a majority of that game. They dominated two of the three periods. Um, so depending on the health of Darcy Kemper, I'm hoping cause they just showed some replays it looks like a couple of them got him high in the face, maybe some ice and it's what the swelling goes down. Maybe. I mean, it's, just, it's the kind of thing where 90% better is not going to cut it. You gotta be a hundred percent. Yeah. If I, he, like if he's 95 and there's a little bit of swelling, he can't play. Yeah. We'll see. I'm, I'm interested. I mean, if Frankie's in, it definitely makes it closer I mean, I thought Frank, I mean, Frankie had some great sequences in this game. And I really think all three of the goals that went in were not his fault. I feel okay. If Frankie's in this game, I really do. Cause it, it throws off what the Oilers prepared for in Darcy Kemper coming into this series. And I don't know. I just, I feel okay with it. If he has to play game two and maybe even a little farther down in the series. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I do still think the abs are going to find a way to win game two. I think they know the importance of going up two nothing. I uh, think the thing is, is that the avalanche are more flexible in their ability to adjust than the Oilers. The Oilers are hoping for another game like this. The avalanche are perfectly capable of slowing this down and turning this into, I mean, I'm going to say something ridiculous, a five, three game as a slower version of the game. Because if this series goes like this, this is exactly what the Oilers want. They can win this series if it's like this, but they, they're they not really capable of slowing it down. The Avalanche, they have a lot more talent and a lot more ways to turn this into a 3-2 game kind of series, if, if I'm making any sense at all. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I'm just uh, – I'm really interested to see. I, I don't think this series is uh... – going to be as crazy as game one it's uh, well that's a pretty high standard this yeah, is the pretty second, high standard. this is the second highest scoring game in conference final history i'm just keeping my fingers crossed that we're not going to see a repeat of the calgary edmonton and that's i i'd say like I, i'm not like super worried about that but I, i'd be lying to you like i'm a little worried like we're gonna come out and um flames it up because you just you never know I mean, yeah. I mean, the biggest problem for the Flames in that series was Markstrom and their goaltending and the, the top line just disappearing into dust. 
I don't know if the top, Avs top line will disappear into dust. That's but. exactly my point. The Avs top line is way better. And if you get decent goaltending, that's not going to happen to you. And we're better than the Flames. We have better star power. We're deeper. And it's hard to be as bad as Markstrom was in that series. Yeah, I just, I, I wouldn't, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't have a little bit. Yeah, of I mean, this series is far from over. You've won one game. You have not done anything to lock up this series yet you've got to defend your home ice and then you got to go to Edmonton where they're going to have the line matchups it's going to be a tough series this is going to go deep and I am optimistic because the avalanche they might treat this like a loss in the locker room and they have responded well to poor performances so far in these playoffs and I believe that they're going to be able to not lock it down defensively, but be stronger defensively. Less gaffes, no dumb penalties by Landeskog. And they've shown they are capable of containing that top line in spurts. Not entirely, but they can do it. It's like Calgary could not at all. We well, showed that it's possible to at least zero kind of contain them. Yeah, they have zero defensemen who are as Kale McCarr Devontae's level. Um, so yeah, I agree. I, you, you contain them for 40 minutes of this game. Right. And there's going to, there's going to come a time where they break out yeah. and if score you can a goal contain and them make for, a beautiful play. Yeah. If you can contain them for 50 minutes, that's a, that's a win. Right. That's a win. And you've also like the Derek Ryan's can't score in this series. Like that's the, that's the kind of thing that can't happen where you have the Kemper dropping that puck and getting, we're going to, I'm going to transition this into something else, but on that goal that made it a two goal game, the Manson and Jack Johnson pairing got destroyed by the Oilers fourth line. We got to talk about Jack Johnson. I don't know how you can put him back in the lineup for game two. He was not the worst defenseman in this game. That was Manson, but it's not a coincidence that whoever plays with Jack Johnson suddenly looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about that on the preview. I just, I, I don't think Ryan Murray solves it, but he's a better option. He's better I mean, it's really just about mitigating the damage. Yeah. Jack Johnson, this is not the series you play him in. He can't move. The, the speed's too much in this series, and I, I, I get it. Ryan Murray hasn't played in a month and a half or two months now, um, and you don't want to throw him in, but he's going to be mean, better than he's going to be better than Jack Johnson. I mean, I what's know. worse, a rusty Murray? or what we've seen in Jack Johnson. It's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Maybe Ryan Murray comes in and is bad, but could it be worse than Jack Johnson? Yeah. Because this, well, this, just... is, this is just what has to happen without Sam Gerard. This is why losing him sucks. These are the decisions you have to make. Do you put Jack Johnson in, who cannot play in this series? He cannot keep up with the speed. Or Ryan Murray, who hasn't played in a month and a half. It's There's no right call. I think it's... Jack Johnson and Josh Manson don't fit together either. Right. The fit just doesn't work. At least Ryan Murray, I've been saying this since Gerard got hurt. Like Murray is not Sam Gerard, but he's closer to Sam Gerard than Jack Johnson. And Gerard and Manson were fantastic together. They were just great. Yeah. So you got to get as close to Sam Gerard as you can. And I don't think Jack Johnson's there. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we see Ryan Murray in this next game, but I, I, I'd give it a 50, 50 chance. I mean, I, I, I was, I was surprised we did see Jack Johnson in this game after the 
terrible play he had in game six that gave the Blues the lead. But it's like you say, Murray can somewhat be what Gerard is. And Johnson and Manson is not a good pair. What else can you do with Jack Johnson? You can't fuck up any of those other pairs because they're great. Mm -hmm. The only thing you can do is take him out or play seven defensemen, but then you're fucking up your fourth line. Like there's one option here and it's to take him out and try something else. It, this is not, especially when you go to Edmonton and they have the last change every time Jack Johnson's on the ice, they're going to target him. Yeah. You got to throw Ryan Murray in there and we'll, we'll see. Like I, I, I don't know how Bednar could throw back out Jack Johnson, but he seems to trust Jack Johnson. I don't know what he's seeing there that he trusts him so much. I don't know if it stems back to that point in the regular season where he's like, oh, Jack Johnson just does everything we ask of him every night. How can you get a knock against him? You can't be loyal to the regular season in the Western Conference final. You just can't. You've got to take what's in front of your face at face value. Jack can't play in this series. He's a nice guy. He deserves better. But this, when we did sign Jack Johnson to the PTO, this is exactly what I was afraid of when we did that. He can't move. And he wasn't worse than Josh Manson in this game, but he treats that puck like a bomb when it's on his stick. And the Oilers are going to have someone in his face every time. This is a disaster waiting to happen. We cannot do this. And like you said, if it doesn't work out with Ryan Murray, then you can go back to Jack Johnson. But the fact we haven't even tried it is what's shocking. Like you have, you have all these defensemen. This was one of the things we talked about coming into the playoffs. You have nine defensemen that are capable of playing at an NHL level, maybe stretched on Curtis McDermott there, but you can play him if you need him to nine guys who can play. Do not lock yourself into one. This is exactly why we talked about depth because if something like this happens, you lose Gerard for the playoffs and Jack Johnson's not working, pull the plug because you can do it. It's not like the next closest defenseman's Jacob McDonald. I I don't disagree. I just I, I think we're getting closer and closer to it because Murray took part in pregame warmups, wasn't part of the line rushes. So I think we're getting close to it. I I agree there because it it really came down to warmups when we were gonna see who was playing here. And I trust Jared Bednar to make the right decision. And if, if he's playing Jack Johnson over Ryan Murray, there are, there are stuff we don't see in practices and stuff like that, that maybe suggests Murray's not ready and is not going to play well in this series. We don't see stuff like that. So I'm going to give Bednar credit, but from what I've seen, I don't know how you can put Jack back out there. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Plain and simple. We'll see, man. Thursday feels forever away, but it's going to fly by. Yeah, like we're, we've got Tampa and New York tomorrow. Thursday is going to be here before we know it. And this has been a surprisingly, like, talking about the negatives episode for a win in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, just because there's so much that happened here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there's a lot. I think we're also grumpy because we're exhausted from that. Yeah, game. no, it's been a long day, but it's there's a lot more positives and negatives in this episode uh, or in this game. Um, we pointed out the negatives because they were pretty glaring negatives. And if you I'm don't fix sure. them, and if you don't fix those negatives, even if you get out of the series, you're not winning the next round. Yeah. And 
I really feel good. Like, I would not be shocked at all if the Avs come out in game two and they're better and win the game by like three or four. Like, it wouldn't shock me. In not at all. The Avs so, have shown they're able to adjust. And I like the attitude they have after this game yeah. where they're not happy with this. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's, it's fine, but there were definitely some glaring negatives. And that's the first time I felt negative about an 8 6 win. Well, so, have we seen an 8 6 win? Not in a long time, but not like, since like the 70s. Yeah, I imagine that's how it felt. Um, like how how it feel like when you know you're a good team, those games are like these games honestly kind of suck. Yeah, I mean this this would have been the best goaltending duel the '80s. Yeah, hundred percent. Grant Fuhr would have been the first star. Um, but I'm sure Grant felt nostalgic watching the game. Yeah, I I think the Avs are going to come back in game two. They're going to play better. I think they go up two nothing, and then you just need to go to Edmonton and win one or two. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think they're going to be – I think they're going to have an amazing game too, honestly. I'd say they win 5-2. You, you get two goals to the top line for Edmonton, and your top line matches them and you get some depth goals. I think they're going to play great. I think it's a 3-2 overtime win. Okay. I think overtime just screams this game like a good defensive it, Actually, you know what? You're right because the Avalanche, we're going to dominate the game and Mike Smith is going to make 60 saves and we're going to, and we're going to win in overtime. So actually I agree with you now, because you're right. Cause that's what happens when the avalanche play great. The other goalie is even better. Yeah. We've seen it in every series. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel good, but definitely some things you need to work on going forward into this next game. But honestly, we're up one, nothing in the Western conference finals. It's hard to complain. And we sound like spoiled rat spoiled brats, but that's kind of what we are at this point. Yeah. Uh, so I feel good. It's a win and we are on to Thursday and hopefully another win. Yeah. I mean, and one of my main encouraging things is how well we did match up against that McDavid line for 40 minutes of this game. McKinnon showed that he's able to get on McDavid and dry and break through for goals of his own. And also the Oilers defense is going to struggle in this series. Mm-hmm. We have Kale McCarr and Devontae's. Bo Byron was amazing again, by the way. And Eric Johnson, who also had a strong game. It was the third pair that sucked. The Oilers do not have one guy who I think was particularly good. Brett Kulak, I thought, was pretty good in this game. Darnell Nurse is struggling. It's a lower body injury, and that is terrible news for a series against the Avalanche. Mm-hmm. So, like you just said, like it, it's going to be fine. Definitely some things you need to work on going forward, but We'll uh we'll persevere through, and we'll we'll find a way to win. Yes, yeah, I mean this for from an outside perspective, this was a very exciting game and sets the stage for what is going to be a very exciting series. And for us Avs fans, we're hoping it's not. We're yeah, hoping they can this shut this down and really bring this, this in. But here's the thing too: you look at it, the Avs are going to be playing into June. Tomorrow is June and the Avs will be playing. For me, right now it is June. So the Avalanche are playing games in June. So that's a win. And we're we're, we're nine wins. How many? I can't do math. Seven. Seven wins away. It's been a long day and a long game. So seven wins away from your ultimate goal. And you got the first part done. We're 25% done with this series. So um, I feel good. We'll win. We'll win on Thursday, and then probably lose Game Three, but win Game Four. Yeah. Oh, you gotta win. You gotta defend your home ice. Yep. You gotta win one in Edmonton where they have the line changes. The Avalanche 
are the better team in this series. They had a game where they had like six defensive gaps that ended up in their net and they won. Yeah. You got to take that as a great sign. And the avalanche have shown they're very good at adjusting to things along the way. So I still feel good about this. That was just an insane game that melted everybody's brain and got really stressful at the end, but they did it. They did it. They they almost pulled it. You know, and you can, you can even spin it as they learned from game five where they slowed it down and were able to get the empty net goal this time, which they could not do in game five. So even then you can spin this as an improvement and the team bouncing back from things. So I think the abs are going to be fine. I believe we're going to win this series in six games still. And now you look and wait and see who's coming out on the East. Cause I think that's going to be as shockingly fun series as well for all the opposite reasons. I mean, yeah. if you're the NHL, you really could not have hoped for a better conference finals. Could you? No, you couldn't have. I mean, that's perfect. I mean, you, you really, conference. you really look at it. What would better matchups have been? Like you take any, any four teams, what would a better one have been? Tampa Bay, uh, Boston, Boston, probably yeah, maybe even, but the Rangers are a bigger market team that draw that draw a better casual audience. So even then, no, I, I don't I really, I really think this is the best, maybe Toronto instead of Tampa, just cause that would draw well in Canada. Yeah. But for us here in the States, the two time defending champs against the Rangers is a lot of fun and McKinnon versus McDavid. You can sell. And after this game one, you'll be able to sell a lot of. Oh games. yes, you will draw in some people after an eight-six game for game two. Yeah. So, but yeah, I got I got nothing else, man. I'm shocked we got nothing else, man. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, we're not going to see a game like this again. No. And we won. We came out on the right side of it. So. Yeah. The Avalanche lead the Western Conference Final one to nothing. Three wins away from a return to the Stanley Cup Final for the first time in 21 years, and seven wins away from a Stanley cup for the first time in the same amount of time. This was an experience of a game that I'm actually sad. I didn't get to see in person, but also (laughs) relieved because we would have lost. So probably figured it out. Uh, Man, this would have been so fun, but it's a, it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make, (laughs) but uh, I think that's going to do it for us on this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you all so very much for tuning in once again for our first ever conference final episode. And we will catch you all next time. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at G Young's NHL. You can follow Christian at Christian underscore belay, and you can follow the show at tell it as it is once again thank you all so very much for tuning in and we will catch you all next time after game two so we'll see you then and let's go abs